You're listening to a bonus episode of The Dairy Age, featuring Chagisk's weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, which is also available as a podcast. Good morning, everybody. Uh, you're very welcome to our final Let's Talk Dairy webinar for 2022. I have to be careful the year now, Joe. Don't get the year wrong and show me age. Um, on a cold and frosty morning. It's very cold down here in County Carlow anyway. What's it like up in, in Monaghan, Joe? Or Grange, wherever you are today? It's, it's Arctic, uh, George, as expected. Yeah. But sure, we're well used to it. We're not worrying really too much. We're giving, we're giving people the option anyway of sitting in for a few minutes out of the cold and yeah. hear what's going on, I hope. I Soon hope, they're on yeah. the laptop or the mobile in, in an office somewhere or in, in a shelter in the house. <laughs> I think there's a lot of a lot of cows being dried off this week, George, where lads thought they were going to mill through or said, and you know what, it's not worth it. So <laughs> be setting me more than once this yeah. week. Yeah, this yeah. Week. I, think so. you know what? I think they're probably right. <laughs> the hall about money. Joe, <laughs> tell us about uh, Joe's my just for the listeners here this morning, Joe's my immediate boss. Uh he's head of Dairy KT in Chagas. And he was kind of organizing the National Dairy Conference in 2022. And I thought it would be an opportunity for us to invite Joe on, maybe for those of you that did attend and maybe for those of you that didn't attend, just to hear a little bit, Joe, about the the dairy conference that took place, a very successful pair of dairy conferences that took place last week, one in Cork on Tuesday and the second in Mullingar on Thursday. So maybe just bring us through the kind of broad outline of what happened, Joe, we'll focus in then on one or two of the sessions. So yeah, look. So we we yeah, as you say, we were in Rochestown on the on the Tuesday and, and in the Mulligar Park on, on Thursday. Good good crowds and and good enthusiasm in in both locations. It must be said. And and what we want is plenty of dairy farmers and plenty of people that are in the trenches, so to speak. So we got we got that, which we were very happy with. And I suppose look at it's it's really the it's down to the quality of speakers that were there that people came along to hear. And I think that's that's an important point too. So look at it. Um, I suppose before we get into detail on it, I think certainly just to mention like we did we did have um we had two farmer speakers on both on both days. Um we had Liam Long and, and Michael Gone on the first day and Sean O'Donnell and, and Peter on the on the second day. And you know it's a very important thing to have vo- you know the voice from the from the you know from people that are practicing what's been talked about. Uh, so just to reiterate thanks to, to those four guys for their for their contribution on the day. But anyway look at where did we go on the day I suppose look at we opened with um you know where the market's looking at and what the market's demanded in terms of its evolving um product demand um we had speakers from dairy gold and from from tiered on as well in, on that one so look at obviously market's been positive some some discussion around maybe that'll soften a little bit for next year but one of the main points maybe to come out through the, the first day certainly was that Maybe that the, the the set point from where we talk about long term average might be higher going into the future than what we're used to. Um, you know, so when we used to talk about thirty, it's more like forty if you like, not putting a, a, a specific figure on it. But that was the, that was the discussion on the day that maybe that that set point might be might be higher. But one of the one of the I think one of the one of the really um, interesting talks was from um, the Food Safety Authority actually from from Dr Mary Flynn and from Moon Alliance in Mullingar, and they really did a good job to show 
the, the difference, I think, was a very an interesting comparison between the quality, the, the nutrition quality of milk versus a lot of the alternatives that are being marketed and spoken about at the moment. And really what you could see there was that the, the big things like calcium and protein in in um, in dairy products proper, you know, dairy products proper, I suppose, they were four or five times richer in terms of their protein content than than some of the alternatives, maybe 10 times richer in some cases. So you know, it, it just put that thing in context that, you know, we do have a very high quality product. The food safety Authority were very strong on the need for that to be part of, you know, diets in in early in early life through teenage years and also into into um, into older age as well. So that was a there was a good reassurance, I think, to, from the crowd there to hear that you know what they're producing every day is is very valuable and is valued. And that was a, that was an important session. So there was, I think, there were a lot of there were a lot of iPhones taking snapshots of the comparison chart, George, because it did stand out. And even people are. You know, even people ourselves that are working in the industry practically all their lives were maybe surprised by some of the comparison. And I think it's very important, I think, that, you know, the dairy farmers have that knowledge that they know what their product is relative to the alternatives. You, know what I'm you saying? just it's couldn't like, believe how, how watery the stuff is, Josh. Brutal. <laughs> sure, you are. Yeah. And, and that's, say, that's another day. And, yeah, yeah, people, people say, say, that, won't say that. Exactly. They won't say that. I, yeah, but look, I think we were very clear on that, though. We didn't bring in an advocate from the dairy industry. We brought in people that are from a very objective you know, a very objective uh, measure on it. And there was no, we asked for the, we asked for an objective look at where dairy products fit in and that's what we got. And it wasn't from an advocacy advocacy group or from a lobby group. It was from, you know, the state scientific body responsible for this stuff. And that's what we got back. And I think that's the important point of that, you know. Tell us about session two then, Joe. Look at session two, obviously nitrogen and clover have been big in the, in, on the agenda over the last, over the last, well, on farm over the last 12 to 24 months, maybe longer than that from a research point of view. Okay. And I think one of the main things that came from that and Siobhan Kavanagh from the signpost program was very strong on this, that, you know, we wanted to get the point out. And I think the point was well made that the nitrogen story it's not just a water quality story or a cost story. It's also a story around greenhouse gas emissions as well. And that, you know, reduction in chemical N and change in, chemi- in, in nitrogen type are the first and biggest thing we can do in the short term to mitigate greenhouse gases. I think sometimes the whole discussion tends to be around methane output and that kind of stuff gets the the media attention. But from a farm point of view, what can you do next year to reduce greenhouse gases? It's reduce the level of nitrogen in the in the system and chemical end of the system, but also change the type towards protected urea. That's that was a very clear message. Now look at the other thing to say too, and Deirdre Hennessy was very strong about this that we can't just drop out nitrogen out of the system and expect the thing to go ahead. There's a 15 to 20 to 1 return in terms of growth rate, depending on the time of year, on your nitrogen. So the nitrogen in the bag has worked and does work. It just comes with too high of a footprint. So obviously, clover has to come in there and make the difference in terms of fixing the chemical end. So look at, and I think Deirdre was very strong about this. We shouldn't say there's a figure. You know, we can't say it replaces 100 kilos of N or it replaces 200 kilos of N or 50. Yeah. It really depends on what's there on the farm. But typically, 
what was the figure? But 80 to 100 kilos is typically what you could replace. Exactly. And that's, you know, and that's where we're kind of looking at for, I know some people are, and there's good research being done in, in Chagas as well on zero end systems and high end systems and all sorts of systems. But the set, the sort of the, the target, I suppose, for farmers at the moment is kind of that 150 plus 100 coming from Clover is kind of what we'll be talking about. And that came through, this, yeah. that came through the, the talk as well, you know. Okay. So look at I just don't want a quick one on that. Like Mike Dean did a nice job outlining the fact that clover as a plant and clover spores do have good nutritional benefits to 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 dairy cows as well. And he was very good on that in terms of how the fiber levels in the in the clover swords are lower and that should get better production as a result. Yeah. Okay. Bring us on to session three then, Joe, about the quality calves of the dairy herd. Quality calves, yeah. Look at it's this is a this is um it's back to the future on this one, really, isn't it? Really, that we're 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 maybe going back. We're going back to 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 a, to a system. Maybe it's a new system. Maybe it's an old system of breeding. You know, breeding a fixed number of dairy replacements, and then trying to maximize the quality of beef in the remaining in the remaining calves. I mean, there was plenty of people did that for years through the through the through the seventies, eighties, and nineties, I suppose. And then I suppose as quotas went out. We did build cow numbers and build heifer numbers came through. There was a very strong focus on the on the on, on the on the dairy side and maybe less so on the beef. So that might change back a little bit now as as herds, you know, not only are herds stabilizing, George, but you see this yourself, obviously, with your groups. The days of 20% empty are over on a lot of farms. So we don't have the replacement rate requirements that we would have had previously uh, when fertility in the herd was low. So actually, probably high EBI has contributed to the fact that we probably can get away with using a lot less um, dairy straws. And you put sex even on top of that again, we there is space there to do something on beef, I would say, you know. Um, so look, we just, Alan and Alan Toomey from our, from Moorpark and Ross Evans in, in Mullingar from ICBF just laid out, look, there are the system there of choosing bulls with the dairy beef index, being a bit more detailed about it, not just looking at calving difficulty, but looking at the carcass traits as well. That does... Uh, it does offer um, it does offer opportunities for people to just produce a better quality calf that leaves the the, the people rearing those calves with, with a better opportunity to make some make a margin on them. But um, look at one of the questions maybe that came from the floor on that one was really around you know can you have a dairy herd that's so low in beef genetics that it's not even worth your while doing this you know yeah. and that's it that's a that's a tricky one like I mean if you're yes. looking at you know, typically maybe what's the average minus eight or minus nine or something in around that for beef marriage. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. What if you're minus 20 or minus 25? Do you, is this just, is it a waste of time even trying this? And I think Ross was very strong on that in Mullingar, actually, that you can have good calving, good bulls with good calving traits that can also put a bit of beef marriage into even cows at that lower level. And but you do need to be probably up at 70, 80 on the beef merit side of things to, to make that happen. So it's not a lost cause by the, for those herds by any means. And that that was an important that was an important message too. I suppose the challenge there is to get a team of bulls coming through the mm. system that will will meet yeah. those needs. It reminds me of the early days in the EBI Joe when we were looking for milk and fertility and we're it's hard to get the two of them. Hopefully, it'll come in the next over the next number of years. It'll be there, I'm sure. You know, the list is the the, the active bull list from the dairy side. George is full of those bulls yeah. now. 
is. Like, I mean, you've looked at the lists on the, the DBI at the moment. Do, there are some bulls available like that, aren't there? Yeah, there's, there's a limited, limited number that'll meet most of the criteria at this stage, which I suppose it will, it'll be a few years, to be honest about it now, before we, because the selection is only starting, really, uh, to get the big the bigger teams of bulls that we need, really need to, to drive this on. Joe, tell us a bit about uh, this. Yeah, I, I just, just one final point before we move off that. Like, and I mean, the, the two farmers, Liam and Peter, were strong on this too. That, you are. Like, we, 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 there was a there was a relatively positive um, reception to the messages around that. Like it wasn't, I think maybe the fact that now there are tools coming available for farmers, for dairy farmers to use on the breeding side is maybe that was missing previously, if it's possibly. Now there's a direction that can go in and there's things people can do to make a difference. And I felt that there was a, a good reception towards that because a difficult enough subject to be fair um, previously when maybe the tools weren't available to use. But now there are there, there are options there. And I think people as a result maybe have responded to that in the way in the, way the, the viewer to think about this thing. So that's good. That's good. Bring us through the fourth session then, Joe, some kind of short pieces then. Yeah, look at on the short stuff. Um, we we asked. Um, I think it's it's one thing we've. I know we talked a lot about it ourselves internally. Um, George around the need to have. You know, I like to think that I like to think that attendees can go home with something practical to look at uh, after the conference. That there's something you can go. You know, that it's not all pie in the sky stuff. That you have some reasonable um take home you know piece. take home stuff and we says look at the, the graveyard shift is the time for that because lads be getting itchy to, to move on at that after three yeah. o'clock or whatever so we we asked for we asked for four things was really look at the costs we wanted something on cell count something on methane which is important even though we said look nitrogen is the main story for the moment and also yeah. john opted stuff on milking facilities and that which was which was interesting you know those those were the four four things you know so um, you pull a few sides. yeah look at just for yeah just yeah. For, for for a quick peek at that so maybe just james and james and adrian O'Callan and patrick pulled this together and um, for the for the for the for the for the um the cost side of things and look at not to get into too much detail but the main point just on the slide if you look at the blue box there that's the kind of the average and the range of cost you would have seen in 21 i suppose so you can see the average cost being something around sort of 15 60 to 1600 quid and then on the um on the yellow or the sorry the orange box there is the sort of the average and the range that's likely to happen for the final tally in 2022 i suppose look the, the nice show there's two important things to show there number one is that the average in 2022 will be even higher or slightly higher than what the highest cost farm was in 2021 so on average our average cost now is as high as what the highest cost farms were last year. And that's, you know, because all the talk is about milk price, milk price, milk price. But we also have to just watch this question on cost uh, is, is important. The five-year gross output average was just thrown in there as well for comparison. And you can see that really that the average cost in 2022 will be the same or even slightly coming close to what the five-year average for gross output was. Just highlighting that, while it's been a very good year for dairy farmers, that is driven on, that's driven on price and the cost, the risk of high cost in the background needs to be factored into people's thinking and it needs to be managed rather than thinking, you know, I suppose we don't want to be the profits of doom here and we have absolutely no impact whatsoever, no no role at all in where milk price goes. We All we can do is try and put, put the figures in front of people and that's what it shows there is that be careful because 
cost, with the acceleration in costs, we become very reliant on the high price. We really become very, very reliant on the high price to make the margin. Okay. Um, so look at um, one other quick thing that he had there was, or that the lads had was, it's just this idea that all cows, the cost for all cows isn't created equally, that the cows you have now have a certain cost. But if you if you drive on numbers to maybe to respond to high milk price, you, it's likely that the cost of the marginal cows or the additional cows will be higher than the, the average cost you have at the moment, because a lot of the time that's based on bought-in feed. So James and and, and uh, Adrian just showed that for 10, we will not go into the detail here because we don't have time, but for 10 extra cows, right, at current costs, it'll cost you 20 grand extra in feed cost to carry 10 extra cows. So you might be there thinking, as a dairy farmer, you're thinking, I'm feeding whatever, a ton of concentrate, for example, and I'm feeding my 100 cows and I'm buying a ton of concentrate, it's costing me around 40 grand. Uh, to feed the for feed in purchase feed, ten extra cows will increase your feed cost by by fifty percent this year, and that's important to remember. Now, this it could be still it could depend on the type of cow. It could be still a margin in those, but don't expect the cost to stay. It's not line for line or cow by cow. It's it, they're going to yeah. accelerate. As, so you have to be careful <laughs> in your numbers. And that was the main the main point there, which I thought was, okay. was interesting. Look at on the milk efficiency. Where did John go with that? Um, John Upton. Big point here really is look at cows per hour. You're talking 90 on, on your herringbone on the left, but 95 cows per hour, um, 170 on the rotaries, but huge farm to farm variation. So mm-hmm. operator, you know, we can't change our milking parlor in the morning, but we can have a look at our our operating system or our, our way of doing things. And John made a very good point actually that it's the, it's not just the parlor, but it's also the collecting yard, the draft and the exit from the parlor. Collecting yards are a major problem on a lot of farms. They, 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 they contribute hugely to milking efficiency. And he could see from his data that the poorest performing parlors were taking much longer to load rows and to empty rows. It's not about how quick, it's not only about how quickly clusters are attached. It's really in a herringbone situation. It's how quickly the animals enter and leave the parlor. And, you know, rather than focusing on, you know, extra kit inside in the parlor, which is important too, maybe having a look at how the whole thing is configured in the yard might be as an important thing to, to look at. So look at uh, one other thing that he made a nice point was, and this is, we'll just, we'll not delay on this one, but in a herringbone system, one operator was giving you 88 cows an hour, two operators on average, yeah, and uh, two operators was giving you 105 so, so kick uh, that out with the parlor is the message, Joe, is it? Yeah, except on Sunday morning, George. You know, that was, <laughs> you know. so But it, it's an interesting one. Like, that there's yeah, a lot, a lot, of, these, a lot of these farms, actually, we have two people milking and That's we have right. a labor shortage on farms. So John's <laughs> message was set the, set the farm up or set the parlor up, particularly in the herringbone, set it up with a good draft and good cow flow, good automation that allows one person to, to sort of milk at the, in comfort. But we have we, a lot of the times we have one and a half people or two people floating around, a second person floating around to get over the fact that the thing isn't as well set up as it should be. Uh, and that's that's yeah, it's the it's this kind of intergenerational thing. Uh, who's milking? We both are, you know, kind of a thing. And that's fair enough. But look at um, 
try try and give one or the other the the, the evening off or whatever if, if possible. One other quick one on it, and I'll not dwell on it, uh, George. Just this is an interesting one. The sixteen eight, this eight sixteen is eight hours and sixteen hours between Milkins. Only twenty percent of rotaries and only six percent of herringbone mm-hmm. farms in the study were milking at that optimal. Yeah. Uh, in interval from a from a from a labor management point of view. So while you've all this kit and all the focus is on the milking process, we're still stuck with the idea that, you know, a lot of people aren't milking, they're milking at a 10 hour interval. So a two hour milking on top of a 10 hour interval means that on average farms are running a 12 hour day. Yeah. That could be a 10 hour day in when the there's morning. No need. When when there's no need. need. There is yeah. no need. There That's is no the need. There. So that was a big one. Right. Look at quickly, Pablo on um, selective dry cow. A couple of quick things here from Pablo. And, uh, you know, anyone that wants to detail on this, the, the presentations and the papers are up online. And I think we should invite some of these guys on to have a chat in the new year as well, or maybe later yeah. next year when these are interesting. But look at one big thing he said look at, there's a variation, and it's no point in saying otherwise. The antibiotic is in blue, teeth sealant and antibiotic is in, these are herd by herd. You can look at the variation in the responses to dry cow therapy. The antibiotic is kind of, the, the range between herds is much less. Some herds had a bad outcome with the teeth sealant only, and some herds were very, very comparable and very good. And it's these, these cases that fall down are the ones that are of concern. Right. Um, so like you can see the antibiotic is doing what you'd expect. It's it's equalizing management. It's a kind of a I'm not going to say an aid to bad management, but sort of a, it, it, it brings everyone onto a level playing field. The challenge is higher, obviously, when you've got a selective a selective uh, program program in place. But some herds had very good outcomes from it. Right. That's important. Yeah. So look, at what did he say? You need to be using CMT during the lactation, really, for low C- mastitis records are important, obviously. Uh, stripping cow's milk and um, certainly if there's if there's you know finding cases quickly and promptly all very important right um on the dry period interesting one a cubicle per cow or more needed um there's 30 or 30,000 or more of a cell count difference packed sheds or poorly poorly appointed sheds are a risk for for a whole lactation cell count um clean your cubicles twice a day even during the dry period which was an interesting one that was they're grumbling about that, but there you go. That was that's forty thousand of a cell count. Yeah. yeah, that's the finding. So get in there and keep them clean. Is the even during the dry period was an important one. Uh, this was a big one for me actually. I thought it was interesting. Twenty nine per half. Twenty nine percent of heifers calving in had infections. Um, that's interesting. Now. So Pablo made a good point here that actually heifers are seen as a, a clean animal coming into the herd. But actually, there can be a reservoir of mastitis infection, actually, because they don't get the attention maybe that the cow that you have records on uh, does. So the heifers are one. So training heifers into cubicles, making sure that they're lying up, that they're clean, all that kind of stuff. Uh, bringing heifers home in good time before you from contract rearing arrangements that they're not unsettled or not cubicle trained you know, coming into the spring period is important. Uh, that was a big one, actually. Uh, last milk recording before, you know, getting a good milk recording done at 30 days before dry off, very good predictor of infection. Um, and another big one here was for heifers, cutoff point for selective 60,000, for cows, 100,000. So mm-hmm. you need to be, you need actually a heifer at 100,000 cell count could have an infection, but just doesn't show it. So make the cut point 60 
uh, for your heifers. And that was that was interesting. OK, yeah, sure. so look, at we've covered all those and yeah. clean cubicles is a big one. I'll just skip to what Ben talked about. And very quickly, Ben talked about measuring methane through the green feed. You can see here the green feed system that this little tower when the cow eats a bit of she's only eating a couple of bits of concentrate every day, a few times a day. It measures the methane in her breath. And uh, that's the calculation on methane is a book value. And you can see the book value is in Oh, sorry, the book value is in orange here, but when they measured it in pasture, you can show that there's about an 18% drop in methane uh, production on high quality pasture at the start of the year. So actually the um, the book value for methane that's assumed for Irish dairy cows is too high. And the idea now will be to try and get the measured value uh, included in the inventory. Uh, and that's a very repeatable and very consistent message across a good number of trials at this stage and you know that's data that's been checked in other countries and all the rest of it and it's it's a good story and the story really here is around low fiber high quality pasture in the start of the year creates less methane than is assumed but as you can see as you move through the year and the, the quality of pasture the fiber content in the pasture it comes up it actually comes back to what you'd expect it to be but look at we we produce a lot of milk in here and it's telling us that we're not, we're, you know, we're, we're being, we're overestimating what methane is produced, which is a good news story, really, for a pasture system. All right. Joel, Joel listen, that's the whistle stop tour of the dairy conference there. There's only one question in. If anyone else, just before we go, has a question to ask, just uh, fire ahead and ask it. And the question is a kind of a complaint here, Joe. Why was the conference not available via Zoom from Wexford to Cork? It's a five and a half hour drive and a four and a half hour trip to Mullingar. I suppose we're, we're kind of spoiled in a way. Um, I suppose we were anxious to get back to a face-to-face conference, Joe, after three years. There's nothing like the face-to-face event. But a lot of the material that you presented or that there now is available online already. Uh, and there's a PDF. They're recorded. Yeah, there's a couple. The nitrogen session and the um, the calf session are, are recorded. Um, they're recorded and they're, they're online as well. Yeah, yeah. they're online as well. So, most, so not, all, not all of them, but some of the material that's available or that, that was presented is available online and there'll be slides and the booklet available uh, on the system as well if you go looking for it. If you're in trouble, give, just drop me an email and I'll get you on to you. So listen, um, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, we're, we're going to leave it at that for, t- for today. Uh, I thank Joe for our, our whistle stop tour through the, the dairy conference. It was great. Thanks, Joe. Um, I'll, we're starting up again. We won't have any uh, Let's Talk Dairy webinar next week. We'll start up again on the 5th of January. And for the month of January, I have my me, me speakers lined up. We're going to go through uh, some of the content of the calf care events that take place during January. January is an important time to get ready and get your head in gear for, for um, the calf rearing that will take place across the spring. So we'll cover that in... We'll cover that in January um, in the Let's Talk Dairy on the 5th, the 12th, 19th and 26th. Without any further ado, I thank Joe once more. Thank you, our audience, for for sitting in with us. And we'll uh, see you all again, please God, in the new year. And happy Christmas and a prosperous new year. That's all for this week's bonus episode from the Let's Talk Dairy webinar series. And don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week. I'll be back with the usual Dairy Edge podcast on Monday, so do listen in then. I'm Stuart Childs, and thanks for listening.